In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, I'm just referring to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes that this is the gospel whereby you're saved. And that gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says uh, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Now, if you look in your Bible at the first four books of the New Testament, it's called the Gospel according to Matthew and the Gospel according to Mark and the Gospel according to Luke and the Gospel according to John. And each of those four books give events from the life of Christ, but they talk specifically about His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I want you to turn this morning to the Gospel according to Isaiah. The Gospel according to Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is in the uh, Old Testament, just past the Song of Solomon, uh, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. Okay. Get anywhere along in there. And the Gospel of Isaiah is found in chapter 53. Chapter 53. So turn there with me, if you will, in your Bibles or look in your iPad or your iPhone, wherever. Let's locate it together. You follow along as I read aloud. Begin in verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter, all 12 verses. In fact, let's read it responsively. I'll read the first verse. You'll read the second verse. I'll read the third verse. you read the fourth verse. Okay? Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he... He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I 
Father, in Jesus' name, we come this morning asking your Holy Spirit to teach us this passage, to make it real in our hearts and lives, and help us to realize that the death of your son was prophesied long before he was born, and he will be worshipped and honored and glorified for the gospel's sake forever and ever and ever. Speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen. The last part of chapter 52 says, verse 14, And as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, it's revealed to each one of us today. The arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is revealed as the sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice for sin. Verse 2 tells us that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Speaking to those people who were around when Jesus was born. Satan, on the other hand, was named Lucifer, the light bearer, the angel of light, the most beautiful of all God's creation. He is able to deceive and to draw people to himself by his incredible good looks and his amazing musical ability. I am convinced that Satan is in charge of most of the music available today. Music that is not designed to glorify God, not designed to bring praise and honor to God, obviously glorifies somebody. It glorifies Satan. According to other passages in the Old Testament, he was in charge of the music, the worship of God in heaven. Until the day in which he said within himself, I'm going to be like the Most High God. I'm going to set my throne above the throne of heaven. He kept saying, I am, I will, I will, I will. Seven times he says, I will. And in every case, God brings him down. And now he goes around trying to destroy God's creation. He goes around trying to cause as many people as possible to be deceived about God. And about who God is. What God is like. He wants people to believe that that God is a a, a kindly old grandfather up in heaven. Who is the quote unquote Santa Claus. Santa Claus. For adults. And all you need to do is go to him and tell him what you want. Bring him your Christmas list or your birthday list or your grocery list or whatever. Tell him what you want and he'll supply it. And if he doesn't supply it, it's just because he doesn't really love you. He's mean and cruel. And that's why so many people suffer today. Why in the world and how in the world would a loving God... Let people go to hell. Send people to hell. 
Why would a loving God let 3,000 people be killed in the, uh, the Twin Towers and the, the World Trade Center? Why would a loving God let uh, people all over the world suffer and die, starving to death and, and suffering terrible diseases? How could a God of love do that? The question was asked on 9-11-2001. Where was God when those two planes slammed into the twin, twin towers? And the truth of the matter is, God's where He's always been. Pleading with people. Pleading with people to accept His Son as their own personal Savior. God has done everything He can possibly do to make it possible for every human being on the face of the planet to go to heaven, to spend eternity with Him. Although we won't spend eternity in heaven, we'll go to heaven. And at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, we'll come back and rule and reign with Him. And we'll watch Him create a new heaven and a new earth at the end of the millennial kingdom. And then we'll live with Him here on this planet forever and ever and ever. That's God's plan. And a loving God will not make people get saved. He's already done all that He can possibly do. I mentioned that Satan is absolutely lovely, beautiful. Even his ministers proclaim themselves and display themselves as angels of light. But Jesus Christ is not like that. He's just an ordinary looking guy. Common, ordinary looking guy. If you want to know what a picture of Jesus looks like, you're out of luck. If you want to know what artists during the Renaissance thought he might look like, then you can see pictures of him all over the world. But nobody knows what he looked like. He certainly was not as good looking as most of the pictures we see. He had no form, no comeliness that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. Whoa. Despised and rejected. Boy, that's sure true today, isn't it? Lord's houses ought to be filled with people all over this world. But there are a lot bigger crowds at the ball game today than here. A lot bigger crowds at the lake than here. A lot of folks trying to get over their hangover from last night than in church. Why is that? Because he's rejected of men. He's rejected of men. People don't want to get saved because they think it might change the way they live. I feel sorry for them. Since I got saved, I have been able to consume as much alcohol as I ever want to consume. It has never touched these lips. Why? Because I don't want to. I don't want to do anything that would cause shame on my Savior. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. On Friday I was called to the hospital. The lady there did not survive her surgery. 
And I got to meet with their family and pray with them, talk with them a little while. And what was sweet about it was I wasn't there by myself. Jesus met with us. He's acquainted with grief. He knows what you feel. He may be the only one who ever knows how you feel at the loss of a loved one. But he knows. Not only does he know, he cares. And that's incredible to me. The God of the universe, who's able to make anything he wants, cares about me and cares about you. There's some of us egotistical enough to understand, well, yeah, I know why he cares about me. But those of us who are like that have not a clue why he cares about you guys. Just kidding. But Jesus cares. Isaiah said, We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Nobody seemed to care about him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded, but not for anything he had done. He was wounded for our transgressions. You know the story from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. The story's 100 and some years old now, 150 years old. About Big Jim and little Johnny in a one-room school. They got a new school teacher one day, and the new school teacher rode up to the one-room schoolhouse, and he got off his horse, and all the kids were waiting for it. Some of the eighth-grade boys were bigger than he was. They all went down and sat in the classroom, and he said, Okay, we want to start the school year off right, and we want to have a good year, and so we're going to need some rules in which to uh, govern our behavior. And I want you to make the rules. Well, that stunned them. Always before, the teacher came in and made the rules. I mean, I did it when I was teaching. I had two rules in my class. You don't get out of your seat without permission, and you don't speak without permission. Okay? That pretty much takes care of any other rules you might need. But he said, let's come up with some rules. And one of the kids said, well, um, I think it would be a good rule that you can't kick people teacher said, okay, and he wrote that on the board. No kicking people. Does everybody agree? And they all agreed. Yep. Okay, another rule. They really got into it. Finally, somebody said, uh, you shouldn't steal. He said, okay, does everybody agree? Everybody agreed. Shouldn't steal while you're at school. So he wrote on the board, don't steal. He got all finished with the list of rules. And he said, now in order to have, for rules to have any effect, there must be a, a punishment given for somebody who breaks the rules. What do you think the punishments ought to be? And they started with the first rule. I think if you kick somebody, you ought to get ten lashes with the whip. A buggy whip. Okay? And he went on down. Got to, thou, thou, don't steal. And so he wrote, How, what do you think? Ten lashes. So he wrote it down. Everything went well for several weeks. And one day, Big Jim, one of the biggest kids in the class, come from a very wealthy farm, came to class and, and uh, came into the teacher at lunchtime and he says, uh, Teacher, somebody stole my lunch. 
Teacher said, what? He said, somebody stole my lunch. Teacher said, well, here, I'll share mine. And uh, Jim said, no, that's okay. I don't really need it. I'm not hungry. But after lunch was over, all the kids came back in, and the teacher said, we have a problem. Somebody violated one of the rules. Somebody stole big Jim's lunch. A little kid sitting near the front of the room because he was so small raised his hand. He said, I did it. Teacher said, well, come up here to the front of the room. Kid got up, walked down the front of the room. His name was little Johnny. Johnny stood there, and the teacher said, uh, you stole Big Jim's lunch? He said, yes, sir. Teacher said, why would you do that? He said, because I hadn't had anything to eat since the day before yesterday. And Big Jim always has way more than enough to eat. And I just... I just needed something to eat. And I know it was wrong, but I just couldn't help myself. And the teacher says, okay, you know the punishment. Take off your coat and lay down across this desk. Lean over the desk. So Johnny began to cry, and he said, no, please don't make me take off my coat. It was kind of a raggedy coat anyhow. He said, no, please don't make me take it off. And the teacher said, no, you've got to take your coat off. If you're going to get ten lashes across your back, you're going to have to take your coat off. And little Johnny began to cry. He unbuttoned his coat, took it off. He didn't have a shirt on underneath it. Didn't own a shirt. He laid down across the desk. Teacher went over and got that big buggy whip. He got ready to lay that first lash across little Johnny's back. And Big Jim stepped up and said, Stop. Teacher said, Jim, crime's been done. Rule's been broken. The penalty has been set. I have to. Jim said, it doesn't say who has to take the punishment, does it? He said, no, it doesn't say that. He said, then I'm taking it. And he leaned over the top of Johnny's body spread out his legs and waited. The teacher delivered ten lashes across his back. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary absolutely sinless. He had never spoken an ugly word. He had never had a rebellious thought. He had never told his mom no. He had never stolen anything. His heart was pure and clean. Lived 33 years rejected of men. And now they're getting ready to nail him to a cross and they've already beaten him until his body is so lacerated that there's strips of flesh hanging off of it. His face is so bruised that his visage is marred more than any man. Chapter 51 tells us they ripped the beard out of his face. 
And as he lays down on that cross, and they begin to drive those spikes through his hands, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, my goodness. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. One of the more popular songs of the last half of the 20th century was by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. When he could have done it God's way. When each of us could do it God's way. I mean, he told us how to live. He told us how to treat one another. He told us how to seek Him. He even told us how to be successful. This book shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Joshua 1.8 But we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain, the agony of being so severely beaten that you no longer look human. I can picture it. We had a kid in our youth group one time got run over by a hay wagon and ran over his head. Okay, you say, did it crush it? You kidding? That kid's so hard-headed. All it did was bruise real bad and swell up. He said it swelled up about this big around and turned black and blue all over. Okay, I mean, look grotesque. Wish I had a picture to show you. I mean, you can't imagine. But Jesus' face was not just bruised. It was torn, bleeding. And those thorns driven down into his scalp caused blood to drip down and run down his face. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Had he opened his mouth, what could he have said? He could have called seven legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels to set him free. Take him down off the cross. Destroy every human being on the face of the planet. You say, how do you know one angel? Uh, 72,000 angels could destroy everybody. Well, because in the Old Testament, one angel killed 180,000 soldiers in one night. Okay? Multiply that times 72,000, you'll get an idea about how many people that uh, they could take out. Yeah. But he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? 
He was cut off out of the land of living, out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. You say, what's that mean he made his grave with the wicked? Only sinners die. The wages of sin is death. No sin, no death. That's why God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden because the tree of life was there and had they eaten of the tree of life after they disobeyed God and sinned, they would have lived forever in dying bodies. Can you imagine? Your body keeps getting weaker and weaker. You get to where your skin doesn't heal. So every time you get cut, it just continues uh, to bleed and, and, and you can't do anything about it. And you can't die. Oh, death is a gift for sinners. Because we'd have to live forever in bodies that are continually decaying and continually being ravaged by sin. So he was buried with the wicked and with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy, wealthy man had a plantation in, or an estate in Arimathea, and had a tomb carved out for himself in Jerusalem. He was coming from the little village of Arimathea. When he died, they are going to bring his body and bury him in Jerusalem. Whoa. Jesus was buried in his tomb. He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was pleased with the beating that Jesus took. Does that make any sense to anybody? Does that sound reasonable? No. But the truth of the matter is, if Jesus had not taken that beating, if he had not been bruised, none of us could go to heaven. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. He not only wants to spend time with you every day here on this earth, he wants you to live with him forever. Please the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. You say, when do I make his soul an offering for sin? Well, I did it when I was 11 years old. The offering had already been made at the cross of Calvary. But I didn't experience it until I came to Jesus as an 11-year-old boy and said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know if I don't trust you and receive you as my personal Savior, I'm going to die and go to hell. And right now, I am asking you to forgive my sins and to save me. And I made His soul an offering for my sin. And God accepted it. 
and I'm on my way to heaven. And if you think I'm going because I deserve it, you don't know me very well. And if you think you're going because you deserve it, you don't know the Bible very well. Nobody gets into heaven by being good. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. There's not anybody who can say, well, I'm perfect. Actually, you can say it, but only if you've deceived yourself and you're trying to deceive others. (laughs) If you're delusional, then you might can say it, but it's not going to be true. God saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Back up, if you will, to verse 8. With this, I close. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Who's going to tell his story? Who's going to share the message? Who's going to share the gospel? Who's going to tell other people that they can go to heaven because of what Jesus did? Who's going to pass out gospel tracts? Who's going to give money to missions so that we can send folks around the world to go places where we can't go? Who's going to share the message with their neighbor? Who's going to share the message with their family? Who's going to share the message with their friends? Who's going to share the message with the people they work with? If not you, then who? If not now, when? Who shall declare his generation? Well, I'll tell you who the job's been assigned to. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, as you are going into the world, share the gospel with everybody. He said, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And teach people my word. Whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Everywhere you go, I'll go. People say, well, Casey, I don't want to, I'm afraid to share the gospel with anybody. I'm, I don't know what people will say. And that poses the question, who cares what they say? You say, well, what if they... Say, I'm stupid. Okay, is that a reflection on you or a reflection on their perception of you? They might be the stupid one. Okay? Anybody who rejects an offer of salvation, freely given, could get a sign that says, you know, here's your sign. Oh, my goodness. And if Jesus Christ is with you, they're not rejecting you anyhow. 
And you'll be surprised how many people don't reject you or him. There are some folks out there that God has already been working on. Their hearts have already been convicted. They have already been troubled. And they're waiting to meet somebody who knows Jesus who can introduce them to him. Seriously. And you might be the one. Let's stand together quietly, heads bowed, eyes closed. In just a moment, Brother Greg's going to come. Brother Greg, I'd like for us to sing I Surrender All this morning, wherever that is in the hymnal. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Why? Because if you're holding something back, you're holding it back from God. The invitation is pretty simple. If you've never been saved, this morning you have heard the gospel. Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and He wants to save you. But you have to accept Him. I invite you to come. We'll meet you here at the front. We'll take the Bible show you how you can be saved. You've already been saved, and the Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart about baptism about joining the church, about just rededicating your life to live for Him. Whatever the need is, the invitation is open for you. You may just need to come and kneel here and pray for somebody you're burdened about. Father, I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that folks would respond to Your Word, not to what I've had to say, but but to Your Word. The Lord drive it deep into our hearts. Bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. For the grace.